listening to Sermons by the Park from Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. I'm Pastor Aaron Shepard, and our current sermon series is called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Here's a hint. It's Jesus. This series examines the stories of Jesus dining with friends and foes and everyone in between to learn about how God meets us, how Jesus uh, embodied and practiced hospitality in unexpected ways, and how we perhaps can meet others through the power of a shared meal, a shared word, and a shared vision of a new kind of community and belonging. Here's this week's message. The first scripture reading this morning is from the book of Leviticus, chapter 17, verses 14 through 16. For the life of every creature, its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature, for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. All persons, citizens or aliens, who eat what dies of itself or what has been torn by wild animals shall wash their clothes and bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. Then they shall be clean. But if they do not wash themselves or bathe their body, they shall bear their guilt. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of this word. Well, as I said, it is good to be back with you all here this morning. I was very pleased that in my absence, this pulpit was ably supplied, first by uh, the Reverend Amy Fowler, who uh, gave that wonderful message uh, that, that uh, Jesus, he gets us, and he hopes for better. I love that message. Uh, and then, of course, Pen- our own Penny Kearns as well, last week, sharing that wonderful dream and vision of Peter Uh, about clean and unclean foods and the realization that it's not about the food, it's about people, and that what God has made clean, uh, let no one deny. And so in the spirit of both of those messages, I think, um, they were were a wonderful table setting for a sermon series that we're going to begin today, which will take us through some of the stories of Jesus uh, dining with people in Luke's gospel. Um, By different counts, there are ten, at least ten stories of Jesus eating and sharing meals with others in Luke's gospel. It's almost as though uh, it were an important aspect of how God came to be with us, how God chooses, how God gets us and hopes for better, and also how God makes us clean. We heard uh, Nancy read a passage probably you've never heard read in, in church before, but it's important to remember and keep in mind the background, the text 
of Leviticus, which contains uh, those instructions about what makes food and what makes people clean or unclean. That is in the background of this morning's gospel lesson, which comes to us from Luke uh, chapter 5, verses 27 through 39. Let's continue to listen for God's word for us here today. After this, he, Jesus, went out, and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Come, follow me. So he got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for Jesus in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others seated at the table with them. The Pharisees and scribes were complaining to Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to him, You know, John's disciples, like the disciples of the Pharisees, frequently fast and pray, but your disciples eat and drink. Jesus said to them, You cannot make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away, and then they will fast in those days. He also told a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and sews it on an old garment, otherwise the new will be torn, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins and will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, but says the old is good. This, too, is the word of the Lord for us here today. Thanks be to God. Will you join me now in a moment of prayer? Let us pray together. Come, Holy Spirit, now and lend your power to this time together and to our exchange in this place. Grant that my words may have the vitality and the power of your word, that our hearts may be moved and stirred to see anew the glorious revelation of Jesus Christ. And may the words of my mouth and indeed the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and even pleasing in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Friends, it was in the last week of February 1972 that there was an event that historian Michelle Tian King describes as a signal moment of gastro-diplomacy. In the Great Hall of the People in Beijing, United States President Richard Nixon was the guest of honor at a sumptuous banquet hosted by Chinese leader Zhao Enlai. Nixon's visit to China was an historic occasion in itself, an opportunity to thaw relations between historic enemies. But the meal, the meal was where those frosty relations between the two nations could not help but melt. It was apparently an unusual menu by Chinese standards, 
There were some of the usual delicacies like shark fin soup or black mushrooms with mustard greens and fish fillets and a pickled wine sauce. But there were also pork sausages and roast duck with pineapple and not one but two shrimp dishes because the Chinese diplomats had heard that Americans like shrimp. There was a drink that accompanied the meal. It was called uh, Mao Tai, I think. It's a sorghum liquor. One reporter covering the trip described it as tasting like pure gasoline. An aide to Henry Kissinger, who had tasted this drink on an advance trip, wrote a memo warning, quote, under no, repeat, no circumstances should the president actually drink from his glass in response to banquet toasts. But Nixon, being the diplomat he was, matched Zhao glass for glass with every toast all night long. The meal was not, of course, without discomfort for the Americans. The reporter who didn't care for the Mao Tai also noticed that the Chinese guests would use the same chopsticks to eat as they would to take food from the serving platters, which struck him as a bit uh, unhygienic. Also, there were Chinese doctors sitting at the table with him, and he said they smoked furiously throughout the dinner. <laughs> Yet such was the power of this event, and so much did it capture the imagination of people around the world that the menu was published in newspapers and restaurants, including the Shunli Palace in Manhattan, began to duplicate the menu and to serve it to people. And the Shunli Palace apparently was sold out for months with people requesting to come and have the state dinner, the Nixon dinner, at their restaurant. Press coverage of these meals in particular led to a boom in Chinese restaurant patronage across the United States in the 1970s after this when Americans developed a taste for Chinese food. Over the subsequent decades, many nations have noted the power of culinary diplomacy, creating government-funded grant programs that train and equip restaurant tours from countries like Thailand or Japan or Peru or South Korea and even the United States to, to learn their craft and learn the cuisine of their nation and then to go and set up shop in foreign countries and build up the soft power of cultural awareness and culinary cachet. Food has a way of bringing people together. That goes, I think, without saying. A shared meal is a deep expression of hospitality. Yet as an act of hospitality, a meal always represents a certain kind of boundary, a liminal space in between. One might even say a meal can be a kind of wilderness. It certainly was that way for Nixon when he was staring down plates of shark fin soup and fried duck gizzards and foods he'd never seen before. Hospitality, as the French philosopher Jacques Derrida once pointed out, is a word that brings to mind warm and friendly feelings, certainly. But the word hospitality itself derives from the Latin word hostis, which means enemy or army. In Of Hospitality, Derrida explains that hospitality is a paradoxical thing. Absolute hospitality, he, he says, requires that I open my home 
And then I give not only to the foreigner who is provided with a family name or with social status of being a foreigner, but to the absolute unknown anonymous other that I give place to them, that I let them come, that I let them arrive and take a place in the place I offer them without asking them for anything, even their names. Hospitality, one commentator uh, explains, in order to be real and true hospitality does not discriminate. It opens, it is an opening to an indiscriminate otherness, even if it risks always opening the door to its own undoing. In this sense, pure hospitality is always a risk because we cannot determine who will be our guest or how he or she will behave as a guest. Of course, many of us fall short of this sense of pure hospitality, but we've all I assume, been in a situation where we have had to host someone and we have wondered whether the meal was just right, whether the table was set well enough, whether the house was clean enough. Of course, one way to diffuse the tension, no matter the situation, is always to build a bridge over the unease of the unknown by connecting to the common needs and hungers of our hearts. And the best way to do that is to bring out a cheese plate. That's what I always say. What is more common to human beings than the hunger for a good meal? And so food can make hungry enemies, if not fast friends, at least quiet companions. Companion, a word that means the one who we break bread with. That is the power of gastro-diplomacy and hospitality. And so it is that God meets us. For this sermon series, our guiding verse will be Luke 7:34, in which Jesus declares, "The Son of Man came eating and drinking. God came to earth with a mission of gastro-diplomacy. God reveals God's self in the person of Jesus Christ as a man with a healthy appetite and an easy RSVP. He would take any invitation. This morning's text finds Jesus in the company of a collection of tax collectors. In response to his invitation to come and follow, Levi, who may be the same person as Matthew, uh, decided to throw a party. And he brought all his tax collector friends to meet the man who had just given him a new but decidedly lower-paying job. Consider, though, how the text takes us away from that boisterous banquet, how we are instead drawn into this conversation with the Pharisees. One wonders how it is or why it is that they were confronting Jesus. Was it when he was on his way to the dinner, or were they lurking around outside the door as Jesus and the tax collectors enjoyed the party? Either way, it doesn't seem like particularly hospitable behavior. It's highly unlikely that the Pharisees would have been at the table with Jesus and the tax collectors. As distasteful as smoking at the table was to the American reporter in China, the very presence of tax collectors who were agents of the Roman Empire and thus traitors to the Jewish people in the eyes of the Pharisees, that would have been enough to keep them away from the table. 
But the narrator of Luke's gospel says that there were others there too. It says there were tax collectors and others at this great banquet. From this we can surmise uh, that, that these were folks who perhaps uh, came from different sorts and walks of life. But the Pharisees give us a further hint. They call these others sinners when they talk to Jesus. They say, why do you dine with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, these were folks that the Pharisees would have believed to have run afoul of true holiness and righteousness before God. We often shorthand Pharisees as people who are committed to a kind of dogmatic ideology, a belief in righteousness and law following, uh, concerned with keeping the letter of Jewish law. More precisely than that, what separated the Pharisees from other more devout Jews in their time was their belief that the dictates of what is referred to as the holiness code, all those rules about what is clean and unclean, they believed that those rules should apply to everyone, not just out in the world, but in their own homes. At all times, one should never be unclean, for the whole world is God's. Importantly, others disagreed with them on this point. The traditional reading of the Holiness Code is that it is particularly for the priests and the religious professionals, that it's a higher standard of cleanliness brought on by the particular role that these uh, priests have. But the Pharisees, they believed in what Martin Luther called the priesthood of all believers. Uh, they, they beat him to it by a few thousand years. But Luther meant something very different from this. For the Pharisee, they see the world and especially other people, through this lens of cleanliness and uncleanliness. It is, as Penny pointed out, the people who are unclean, not just sinners, but, but people who, who should not even be associated with. To the Pharisees, the world is rife with the great unwashed. Any others out there are sinners. And as you heard, it's no small thing to go from being clean unclean back to clean. You have to wash your clothes. You have to wait some time. For, for other forms of uncleanness, the, the, the rituals involve costly sacrifices as well. Keeping this holiness code is something that required a lot of work. And so your average Joe Schmo walking around probably didn't have the time or the wherewithal to keep up with it. And so, yes, the Pharisees condemned them as sinners, but really these are just regular folks trying to live their lives as best they can, as so many of us are. Of course, Jesus doesn't see them that way. Jesus doesn't single out the tax collector or whatever other folks they keep company with as anything other than folks who are in need of the grace of God, people who welcome his presence and the good news he brings. And I hope that we can count ourselves among that number, too. That we could be among the others who welcome Jesus and his good news. You see, Jesus, in his response to the Pharisees, he doesn't deny that these others may be sinners. But he does remind the Pharisees that they are merely other sinners. 
that just as much as the hunger for a good meal is something we all have in common, so too is the hunger for the love and grace of God and the fullness of life that comes with it. The Pharisees, of course, like so many other characters in the Bible, don't get it right away. They don't understand Jesus' radical hospitality. They also don't see that he's talking about them. They either aren't willing or aren't able to take the risk of being open to these others, to extend grace and hospitality to those they deem unclean and unworthy. So too many of us have fallen short of the hospitality of Jesus. Jesus came to eat and drink with whomever he found himself at table with, but more than that, he sought out those who were unknown and anonymous and found a place at their table. The Pharisees said, that's not how things are done. And Jesus said, that's fine, but I'm doing a new thing. And I wonder, church, in this new year, if there is a new thing that God is doing in your life or in our life. I wonder what tables we are being invited to in this year what others God is calling us to extend a hospitable heart to. There's an urgency to that invitation in this season after Epiphany, in this new year of trials and uncertainty. Jesus once said, the poor will always be with you. Some folks take this as an excuse to write off poverty as an unsolvable problem, but I think it just is a reminder that there is a persistent alarm going off, that there are outcasts and sinners and aimless and hopeless people, ambivalent and overworked ones, sinners, other sinners. Yes, because we acknowledge our sins and we own them. We acknowledge that that we are like all those out there who hunger and yearn for something more from life. That alarm doesn't turn off. It just keeps going off in our hearts. And it draws Jesus to us. See, Jesus is like a moth to the flame of a hurting heart or a wayward soul. He comes to offer good news, to offer a healing and gracious presence. And so the God of all creation comes to us, eating and drinking, engaging in some gastro-diplomacy to provide us with a gut check about who we are and who we hope to be. Jesus' presence tells us that God loves us just the way we are. But his words, his parables, his teachings to the Pharisees remind us that he does not hope to leave us as we are. He talks about the need for wholesale change, not just patching a little bit onto the old ways of our lives, but but starting whole cloth from the beginning. It's a reminder that God loves us enough not to let us linger in our sins. God calls us to change, to be not only the new wine that brings joy and laughter into the world, but new wineskins, which have a perseverance and a flexibility to carry that joy and laughter in a difficult world. The Son of Man came eating and drinking to break bread with traitors and sinners and a few righteous folks too, 
to encourage us when we feel like we're not seen to know that God is with us and to promise us that if we are faithful, we will not remain the same, but be made new and more joyful, more flexible and more hospitable. May God in this new year make us new. Thank you for listening. I hope this week's message was a feast for your ears, that it fed you body and spirit. And I hope that you will come back and join us again next week here with Sermons by the Park. To find out more about Union Congregational Church, you can always visit our website, churchbythepark.org, or you can follow us on social media at Church by the Park. The theme music for this week's message is by Carmen Maria and Edu Espinal. It's called Ratatouille's Kitchen. Now from all of us here at Union, God's grace and peace go with you. Ba, 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 ba.